Hey everybody, and welcome to Well Said, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's podcast where we talk with students, faculty, and staff about what's going on on campus and around the world. And today we're talking about creating a more economically diverse government with political science doctoral candidate, Eric Hansen. When people talk about ways to make a more economically diverse legislature, one of the most commonly suggested ideas is to pay politicians more money with the idea that if the salary is higher, more people will run for elected positions. Is this a newer idea, or is this something that's been out there for a long time? This is something that's been on the radar for quite a while. Certainly in the mid-20th century, this wasn't the top of a lot of people's radar. Women had just gained the right to vote 30 years earlier. African Americans still weren't fully enfranchised. And so descriptive representation in either Congress or state legislatures wasn't at the top of the agenda for populations that barely had political rights. As the 20th century went on, more and more people became concerned with increasing diversity in legislatures and making it more representative of the population. Some measures included, for instance, legislation in Congress to create majority-minority districts. These were districts, especially in the South, where the district lines were drawn so that uh, marginalized populations would be better able to elect representatives that looked like them, especially in the cases of African-Americans, though Latinos have also gained majority-minority districts over the years. Recently, you and a political science professor from Duke University examined this question further. So what about this idea made you want to look at it more? Yeah, so I dove into this topic expecting to find exactly what activists and reformers were expecting to find, that if we just paid a little bit more money to legislators, we would get a wider range of people to serve in office. My specific interest in this paper came from a discussion with a student in class I was having. Um, She was a little puzzled about this explanation, wanted some clarification of it. And I found that I was, as I was speaking out loud, I wasn't entirely sure that what I was saying was true. I know I was reflecting what I had heard before, but I wanted to get into it just a little bit more. I'd say I also have had personal interest in this topic. I grew up in a small town in Kansas, and while I didn't grow up in a working class background, class divisions are certainly prevalent in the Great Plains. That may be the primary divisions that we see among people out there. So, uh, you know, I've always had this idea about the relationship between class and politics just growing up. If we're going to be talking about creating a more diverse government, I guess we should start by understanding the current demographics in government. What kind of people are holding elected positions right now? Yeah, so there's a huge amount of class bias in all levels of government. And it's something we don't talk about. We do talk a lot about women in government and racial and ethnic minorities in government, but we don't often talk about class. If we were to look at the members of Congress right now, a majority of them are millionaires. A majority of members of the Supreme Court are millionaires. The current president, as well as the last president, were both millionaires. When you go down to state legislatures, there's a little bit more economic diversity than at the federal level, but still less than 5% of people serving in state legislatures held a working class or blue collar job as an adult. They might have come from working class backgrounds, but as adults, they haven't necessarily worked in working class positions. Why is there that difference between local and federal government when it comes to diversity? Yeah, so we could imagine this as as you move up the hierarchy of governments, it becomes more and more difficult for uh, blue collar candidates to run. We don't have data to support this at the moment, but we do expect that city councils or other local elected positions reflect 
the economic makeup of the communities they represent much more than higher levels. States uh, would be a little less economically diverse because we're getting into issues of, first of all, progressive ambition, people wanting to run for state legislature because they eventually want to run for Congress. Also, it just costs a lot more to serve in a state legislature in a capital city that might not be close to your home, which is another added cost for people to serve in office. And then as we get to Washington, the vast majority of people serving there are upper class or extremely upper class. So I guess the big question here is why is it so important to have a diverse legislature and a diverse government? So we live in a democracy where we expect our elected officials to represent the population as a whole. It turns out that the policies that get introduced in legislatures tend to reflect the life experiences of the people that serve in office. This is true for a variety of different groups of people. We could look at racial and ethnic groups. We could look at women. We could look at people in the working class or people in uh, white collar jobs. And we do see that the legislation that people put on the agenda in legislatures, as well as the votes that they take, tend to reflect their life experiences. So by having more descriptive representatives of various groups in office, we can have a policy coming out of legislatures that resembles the population and the, the interests that lie within it. What did you end up finding as you investigated this claim? Is this something that's actually feasible? Yeah, what we found was twofold. First of all, we found just looking at the percentage of legislatures that come from working class or blue collar backgrounds, as salaries increase in legislatures, those percentages of workers holding office decreases. So there's an inverse relationship between blue collar representation and the salary paid. We also took a survey of all candidates that ran for state legislature in 2012. And we asked everyone, how much do you worry about the salary that you're going to be making and how much did that influence your decision to run for office? And what we found was that across the board, no matter what state they were running in, blue collar candidates did worry about salary, but it didn't really change based on the state they were running in. However, when we compared the answers from white collar candidates to the salaries they would expect, to make if they were to win office, that white collar candidates in well-paid legislatures were not very concerned about salary at all, whereas the uh, white collar candidates running in poorly paid legislatures were very concerned. So that suggests to us that people in middle class and upper middle class professional backgrounds care much more about salary and potential losses running for office than blue collar candidates might. What part do elections play in this problem? Because you can pay politicians as much money as you want, but it's not cheap to get elected in the first place. So are the high cost of running for office one of the problems here? Yeah, so this isn't a direct finding from our research, but a suspicion that we have about the process that puts certain people into office and not others. So we expect that candidates are really concerned about salary at the election stage too. It takes a lot of time and it takes some amount of money to run for office. It doesn't take as much to run for state ledge as it does for Congress, for instance. But especially if you're working an hourly wage job, all the time that you spend working on a campaign would directly displace potential earnings you could make at that job, whether it's at a factory floor or as a retail employee. So the other thing is that when we're thinking about funding campaigns that actually raising money to help people get into office, uh, people often rely on their personal networks to generate that money. 
Um, so if you're already wealthy, it's very likely that you have a lot of friends who are also well wealthy and also have money that they could spend helping out your campaign. Um, if you're a working class, you might not have as wealthy of a network that has as much disposable income to help you run for office. What are some of the solutions for this problem then? Yeah, we have a couple ideas and we haven't tested this scientifically, but these are hunches and my co-author Nick Carnes has been much more active on these other solutions than I have. So I think one of the first things that we should address is the cultural issues surrounding this. And I don't know if this comes in the form of a program or funding or any concrete action, but just in terms of conversations like these. There's certainly an attitude out there that the people serving us in office should be well-qualified. And well-qualified might mean that they think a lot about politics, have a lot of background experience, but often that can mean that they come from upper classes also. There's certainly stereotypes that we expected our elected officials to be professionally successful as well. And that might be a good thing for other reasons. Um, we do say some other research showing that legislatures that pay their members more have members who show up for votes more, who make decisions that are actually more reflective of policy in those states. So there are benefits that come from having a well-paid legislature. But we also want to recognize that a legislature cannot be truly reflective of the people it represents unless there is some economic diversity in its membership as well. So towards that end, um, there have been some programs that have worked to try to increase blue collar representation by specifically holding training seminars for working class and blue collar candidates. These are often run by labor unions. And what they do is bring people together for a weekend workshop or a few weekend workshops and provide them with basically just information about how to run, how to raise money, what the filing deadlines in the state are, um, the technical information that it might be easier for upper class candidates to find than it would be for blue collar candidates. There's also been a proposal for what are called political scholarships. So this is really nascent research and it's unclear at this point, I believe, whether they're effective or not. But the idea behind these scholarships is a some organization will basically fund the candidacy of a blue collar candidate, which would remove that cost from those candidates actually running for office, which we suspect is one of the reasons holding back blue collar candidates from running. I think the big implications going forward could be seen perhaps in the 2016 campaign. Bernie Sanders on the Democratic side and to a certain extent Donald Trump on the Republican side got some traction because they were portrayed as people looking out for the interests of common people. Donald Trump was particularly portrayed as someone who had a big constituency in the white working class, though I would add whether or not the people we considered to be working class um, among his constituents actually fit that description is up for debate. But it's clear from this election that people care a lot about economic inequality. And this would be one way that we could start working at, if not removing the perception that government is out of touch and only for the wealthy and privileged, then maybe actually making progress towards that goal of making government representative of people regardless of their economic status. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. And don't forget to check back to unc.edu next week for another episode of Well Said. 